Does anybody know what the first miracle that uh, John recorded in his Bible was? What was the first miracle of Jesus? Heidi. It was water to wine. Well done. Fantastic. Oh, there we go. Okay, so for this, we're going to need a few different characters. So, oh, Esther, straight away. Esther, do you want to be, you made such a good Mary at Christmas. Do you want to be Mary again? Yeah, fantastic. Do you want to come up and be Mary? Uh, Come on, give a round of applause. Oh, there he is, Mark Hinstone. Would you like to come up and would you like to be the master of the banquet? You get to sit on this really nice seat. Yeah, it's nice and comfy. Fantastic. Not as much applause for Mark, apparently. There we go. Would you like to go and take a seat? Okay, who else do we have? We need some disciples. Oh, okay. So, everyone that's got your hand up at the moment, if you'd like to be disciples, if you would like to go and stand... Just over here, by this table here. Brilliant. Okay, so we also we also need some servants. Nobody wants to be servants. Do you want to be a servant? Fantastic. A few more servants. Fantastic. Do you want to go and stand over there by the music? By the, the stand over there? That's the one. Just down there. Yep. Fantastic. And then we need Jesus. What's your name? Samuel, do you want to be Jesus? Fantastic. So would you like to come up and stand here? Because you are Jesus. In fact, where are your disciples? Are these your disciples? Do you want to stand next to your disciples? Fantastic. So, so you each are going to have a few different parts to play. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the story... I'm going to say what you're going to do, or say what you're going to say, and then we will reenact it, okay? So Mary, are you ready? Because Mary, in this story, you're a little bit desperate, okay? So you need to be a bit like, ah! Can you do that? (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. And you're the servants. Servants, you need to look a little bit confused. Can you look a little bit confused? Fantastic. Excellent. (laughs) And disciples... Disciples, you're at, a, you're at a wedding party, and you're having a great time. There's loads of music. You dancing? There we go. It's a bit of Kylie. Nice. And cut the music. Fantastic. So when we say it again, you need to be throwing those dance moves, okay? Yeah? Fantastic. Okay, so on the third day, this is from John's Gospel. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. It was Mary. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. They have no more wine. Okay, where's Jesus? Let's come up. We'll do that again, okay? So you need to, you need to be, re- it's really desperate, there's no more wine, so you need to do it with a bit of desperation, okay? So, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to Sorry, Jesus' mother said to Jesus. They have no more wine. Fantastic. 
Fantastic. Now, we'll get to you in a second, Jesus, but I just want to explain a little bit. So weddings were one of the biggest celebrations uh, for Jews at the time. It was, a, it was an opportunity for the families to get together. It was an opportunity to celebrate. And, and the idea of wine running out at the party would have been really a really bad thing. It would have been really, really awful. It would have been like a major problem um, because it was kind of like the central part of the party. And so for some reason, at this point, Mary goes up to Jesus and says they have no more wine. Jesus is just a guest at the party. He's just enjoying it. Imagine, okay, being at a birthday party and your mum or dad runs up to you and goes, they've ran out of birthday cake. What would you do? What would you do if, if they ran up to you and said, they've ran out of birthday cake? Yeah? <coughs> That is a good point. You could just go to the shop and buy some more. That is a good point. But, as well, I think if it was my birthday party, we were at, we were at uh, my mum's retirement party yesterday and Rachel made an amazing cake and there was a lot of cake to go around. But the cake ran out. I would have been like, no, the cake has run out. No. But then I would have gone, what's it got to do with me? I didn't organise the party. I didn't, like, I didn't, it's not up to me to sort out the cake. Why? And this is what Jesus does. Jesus says, he goes, why do you involve me? And he's not asking in a, you know, to his mum being disrespectful. He's just saying, why are you involving me? And he says, my hour has not yet come. That seems like a bit of a random thing to say. My hour has not yet come. What do you reckon? Jesus was talking about. What hour is he talking about? My hour has not yet come. Does anybody know what he might be talking about? What big moment did Jesus do a little bit later in John's Gospel and the other Gospels? His first miracle. Yeah, absolutely. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's saying, in a way, my moment hasn't come. Why are you trying to involve me? So, Samuel, are you ready? You have to go, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. That's it. But Mary just goes, if we can have the next slide, that'd be great. Mary just says, uh, turns to the servants. Servants, are you ready? Yes. Time to shine. Should we have a few more servants? No, just you two. Okay, there we go. But Mary, you turn to the servants and you say... Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Fantastic. And nearby stood six stone water jars. Okay, so I don't have sto- I don't have six stone water jars, unsurprisingly. But what we do have from the kitchen is some plastic beakers. So we're going to use that and imagine. He said, so nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So to give you a bit of an idea, that's like six wheelie bins full of water. Six wheelie bins. So that is a lot of water that's going to be there. We've just got plastic beakers, but we can kind of imagine because we're, yeah, low budget, low budget. so. Uh, So it would have been an awful lot of water. And they would have been used for kind of like ceremonial washing. So what they would have done, the Jews would have done at the time, is they would have uh, washed themselves 
with the water. And that would have been a symbol or a sign of them washing away their sins. A little bit like, you know, when people get baptised here and they wash away, uh, it's a symbol of washing away their sins. It would have been something very, very similar there. So that is what happens there. Okay, Jesus, you ready again? Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay, so fill the jars with water. Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay, so you, you're all ready? You're all ready? Yeah? Do you not think this would have been a little bit weird? Do you want to just put them down for two seconds? Want to hold the glass? Do you not think this would have been a little bit weird? You know, these, these water stones are full of water. But Mary said we've run out of wine. If I was the servant, I would have been looking at it and going, What? You want me to fill them with water, but, but we don't need water. What we need is wine. And imagine being that servant, that volunteer that filled the water and brought it to the master of ceremony. Imagine being that master of ceremony, getting the cup, drinking it, spitting it out. This isn't wine, this is water. You would be terrified. You'd be like, I'm not going to do that. That is silly, because what he's after is wine. If I give him water, he's going to be horrified. He's going to be going, what are you doing giving me this? But what Mary says was, do whatever Jesus tells you. And Jesus said, can you remember what Jesus says? Fill the um, the jars with water. Okay. So we'll do whatever Jesus said. Are you ready, servants? This seems quite strange, but can you fill the jar with water? Yes. Just, sorry, just the glass. Just that glass there, yeah. Fill it with water. Not all the way to the top. That will do. Yep, fantastic. Okay, so this is where you come in, Master of Ceremonies. Are you ready? Fantastic. So how are you feeling? Are you going to be the volunteer steward? Are you ready? Do you think it's a little bit weird? No? At some point, and this is where you have to give me a bit of license, but at some point in between the water, uh, in between the servants filling up the water and going to the master's ceremonies, can you hold this for me? More like a light blood, but there we go, a light wine. It's rosé, yeah. <laughs> okay, but at some point, <laughs> at some point between the servants filling up the water and handing it to the master of ceremonies, it changed from water into rosé, into wine. <laughs> at some point between here and there. And you might look at that. And you might say, really? That's the first miracle that John decided to write about? A miracle about changing a drink? 
What's that got to do with anything? Why wouldn't he start with like the feeding of the 5,000? Now that is a good miracle. I would be impressed with that miracle. But changing water, like, what, what is the point of that? Should we give him a round of applause? You'd just like to take a seat? Take a seat. So it finishes off. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much drink. But you have saved the best till now. He says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. So in John's Gospel, there's loads of different like signs, and basically what that means is it's pointers towards a little bit about who Jesus is and the way that he's going to be and, and what he's going to do. So the first one that he did was that he turned water into wine. And this was showing Jesus' power. It was showing that Jesus had power to do absolutely anything. But it was also showing that Jesus cared about everybody. He even cared about the people at the wedding. He, he didn't want... Um, you know, the, the, the bride and the groom. He didn't want them to have a bad party, but he also didn't want the embarrassment that there would have been if there wasn't wine at the party. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to ask you guys to go to the back uh, and I'm going to talk to the adults for a little bit. But what I'd like to do is um, there's going to be a few uh, crosswords and stuff you to do, but there's also going to be some blank pieces of paper. And if you want, if you're kind of like the arty type, what I'd like you to do is to think about this story and ask God, God, out of this story, what, what speaks to me the most? What is the most important thing that I've remembered from this story? And I'd like you to either write that down or draw a picture that represents that. Okay? So it might be that you think, I've been, re- I've been really struck by the fact that uh, Jesus turned the water into wine and Jesus is like a miracle maker. Or it could be that you look at it and go, isn't it amazing that the servants did what Jesus said, even though it didn't make any sense? Okay, or it could be, oh, it's really great that like Jesus and his disciples, like, like they had fun and they went to parties and everything, so it might be something like that. So uh, Chris, if you're around, if you'd like to come to the front and take um, the, the pens and the pieces of paper, and if you'd like to go to the back, that would be great. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, just wanted to share just a little few thoughts that I've had with regarding um, uh, John chapter 2 it is. If you would like to follow it in your Bibles, it's John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 
So it starts, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. So Hebrew weddings were an extremely grand affair. And for many, as I was saying before, the wedding celebration would have been one of the grandest celebrations uh, that the Hebrew family would have, uh, would have gone to, possibly of their entire life. Uh, and it would have especially been one of the biggest celebrations uh, if the family was particularly poor. The, the wedding ceremony itself would probably have taken place quite late in the evening, uh, followed, uh, following a feast that would have happened before the wedding celebration uh, earlier in the day. And after the ceremony, the couple would be taken home by a torchlight parade. Uh, and what they did as well is they normally took the longest route home possible so that as many people as possible would be able to come out and celebrate and rejoice uh, for, the, for the couple as well. And then on arrival at the couple's homes, the newlyweds would then hold an open house uh, for the next seven days. So the honeymoon would probably be delayed for quite a while. Um, and so for the next seven days, there'd be great festivities, great joy. And during that time, the couple would have been treated like royalty, like you would expect at a wedding, um, and they would dress the part too. So it's in that context that we must look at Mary's statement when she shouts, they have, mo- they have no more wine. In verse 3, Mary approaches Jesus and says, they have no more wine. But what, like I was saying before, why does she do this? What's it got to do with Jesus? He's not the caterer for the wedding. And as, he, as we've heard earlier on, he says, why do you involve me? What's it got to do with me? Ultimately, at that time, it was the responsibility of the bridegroom to ensure that there was a supply of wine at a wedding. And many of us might, maybe our, um, alarm be- our theology alarm bells are, wing- are ringing because, you know, Jesus is known as the bridegroom. Jesus is known as the bridegroom. But I'm not going to actually focus on that today. What I'm going to focus on is Mary's response so that we can learn a little bit from that. Jesus says they have no more wine. Now what we see is that Mary, at this point, she's inviting Jesus into the situation. She's knowing full well, full faith, that he will be the answer to the problem that they have. In a way, Mary's kind of interceding on behalf of the wedding guests. 
uh, on the behalf of the, the bride and the groom. She's standing in the gap and saying, Jesus, will you be the answer to the problem? And like we said before, it would have been an absolute travesty if the, if the uh, party had run out, run out of wine. It's not clear uh, why they ran out. It could be that there were more guests there than they, than they planned for. It could have been a lack of finances. Um, it could have been an overindulgence uh, of, of, of some, from certain guests. But what is clear is that Mary is concerned about the situation and approaches the only person that she knows who can help. And again, it's not clear whether Mary was uh, involved in the kind of wedding prep, whether she was part of the catering team or not. But what is clear is that she knew who she could go to. You know, maybe it was that she had compassion for the people. She knew that she could go to Jesus. It was clear that she could approach Jesus with all her concerns. And a bit of a question for us this morning, a bit of a challenge. You know, are we like Mary? Do we choose to invite Jesus into every situation, both of ourselves and others? Do we bring them to Jesus? Do we bring ourselves to Jesus? Are we inviting Jesus to change the situations that we're currently finding ourselves in? Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And 1 Peter, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know, Mary knew that she was approaching someone that loved her that, uh, and that loved the wedding guest so much that he's not just going to leave it and go, it's not got anything to do with me. You know, he wants us to welcome him into every situation that we're going through, every single situation. And I think sometimes with myself, I'm not sure it's the same with you, but with myself, I'm willing to invite Jesus into the really big situations, whether it be moving house or getting a new job or deciding whether to do this or deciding whether to do this. I'm like, right, we need to pray about this. But sometimes with the small situations, I kind of think, well, I've got the strength to handle this on my own. I've got the strength to sort this out on my own, and I don't invite Jesus into that situation. Jesus wants to be in all our situations, all our situations. And, you know, running out of wine wasn't exactly like a life or death situation. You know, there was no physical pain Nobody was going to die. Yet Jesus interceded with a miracle to solve the problem. God cares about every single aspect of our lives, just like he did back then. So that's the first response of Mary. And the second response of Mary, I absolutely love. It's verse 5. She says to the servant, do whatever he tells you. Have you ever thought about this before, how amazing Mary's faith was there? She knew that in Jesus there was something really special. She remembered the promise of Angel Gabriel that we hear about at Christmas. She remembered the promises of Jesus. Maybe there was something particular in the character of Jesus as he was growing up, that she knew that she could trust him, that she knew that he could do something extraordinary. So Mary looks at the servant and says, do whatever he tells you. And what a challenge that is for us today. You know, I can happily do what Jesus tells me if it's something that I'm willing to do myself. 
Sure, yeah, sure, I'll go and do that because that's fun. Or sure, sure, I'll go and do that. But when it's something that's challenging or something that I don't really like or something that takes me out of my comfort zone, I'm not too willing to do what Jesus tells us. You know, the call that Mary's doing here is for a real radical obedience, doing what he tells us, doing doing it even when we don't exactly understand why, doing what he tells us even when it might seem risky, when sometimes it just doesn't make sense. A while ago, I shared a story um, when I was sat in the barbers and I really felt like God had called me to talk to somebody and tell them how much God loved them. And I shared the last time that I bottled it I had that opportunity, but I wasn't obedient to God. It's another story um, that happened when I used to run React a few years ago when I was with YFC. I was thinking, I'm really on fire for God. I'm going to be obedient to God. Let's go. And we were in Warrington Town Centre, and I saw a man that had, I think it was a broken leg, broken leg, or he was, he was in a wheelchair. I think he had a broken leg. And um, I said, right. I'm going to be obedient to God. God has called me to ask me to go and speak to this man, ask for prayer. And I went up to him, shaking, and I said, I really believe that God's asked me if I can pray for you. Can I pray for you for your leg? And he went, no. I was gutted. And I walked away feeling really sad. I was like, oh, God, you called me to do it. I was obedient. And yet he said no. But God said to me, yeah, but you were obedient. Well done. And that really spoke to me. You know, sometimes God will call us to do things and he's asking us just to be obedient. He's asking us just to step out. You know, sometimes we might do that and we might get disappointed. Or sometimes we might pray for somebody. We might go, I'm going to pray for them. Yes. And either they don't get healed or nothing seems to happen. But what God is calling us to do is to step out. He's calling us to be obedient. He's calling us to trust him. The servants did what Mary did, what Mary said. Again, like we were saying before, how amazing is it of the servants? It made absolutely no sense. Why would I take a glass of water to the master of ceremonies? He's going to laugh at me. He's going to ridicule me. He might even throw me in prison. You know, this is not something that I'm willing to do. I heard a while ago um, when I heard somebody speak about this. And he said, I wonder at what point the miracle happens. Now, have you ever thought that? At what point did the miracle happen? The same with the, is it the centurion's son that was healed? At what point was he healed? Was he healed when he walked back through the door? Was he healed when he says, at your word, he will be healed? At what point was he healed? At what point did the water turn into wine? And this speaker was saying that he believed that it was at the moment of obedience. It was at the moment where they did what Jesus told them to do. You know, it's not always easy. It doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it's not the easiest option. But when we look throughout the Bible, there's time and time again of people that are obedient to God, even though it doesn't make sense. You know, Moses, God asked him to to put down his staff and the the sea would separate. That didn't make sense. 
that didn't make sense. That's, that's not happened. It doesn't happen every day. But, you, um, but God asked him to do it. You know, Daniel refusing to eat the food of, is it King Nebuchadnezzar? You know, he did it. It didn't make sense. He just did it because he was obedient to God. We were talking before about Noah and the flood. God called him to, to build an ark. That didn't make sense. There hadn't been rain for years. But he did it out of obedience. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham prayed for ages for, for a child. And then, Jesus, um, and then God asked him to sacrifice his son. That didn't make any sense. But he did it out of obedience. And no, it's in obedience that we have intimacy with God. It's in obedience that we can really see God move. Um, when Peter stood out on, on the water and he walked across the water towards Jesus, and we all know that he panicked and Jesus had to rescue him. But in that obedience, Peter stepped out and then he was able to walk back to the boat with Jesus. He was able to have that moment where he held Jesus' hand and walked back to the boat. You know, in obedience, we get to have this time of intimacy with God. Richard Foster says, But obedience is truly the greatest freedom because it, because it assures us of living in grace in the will of God, which is the best place of all. Because remaining in God, in his will, is living in his love. Obedience, then, is an expression of love, and love always comes out on top. A question for us this morning to finish. Are we being obedient to God? You know, are we being obedient to reading his word? Are we being obedient in those small steps that God's asking us to do? You know, pray for that person. Go and have a coffee with that person. Ask that person if they would like prayer. Ask that person if they would like to come to church. Step by step by step. How do we be obedient to God? Simply doing what Jesus tells us to do. You know, sitting in the wheelbarrow and allowing Jesus to take us across the waters. Do we want to see God move more in our lives? I'm sure the answer is yes, we do want to see God move in our lives. You know, it starts with obedience. With the disciples, it started with obedience to stepping out and going. So to finish, we can learn from the response of Mary, bringing our needs, both practical and spiritual, both ourselves and others, to Jesus, because he cares. We can learn from her command to do whatever he tells you. What is God calling us to do today, or to speak to, or to act in some way? And finally, we can learn from the obedience of the servants. They did what Jesus told them to do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this um, passage. Lord, we thank you for the ways that we can learn from you, learn from your word. And Lord, I just want to pray over everybody today. Lord, I want to pray um, that you will increase a willingness to step out in faith. A willingness to be obedient to you. Lord, I pray that um, over the next few weeks we start to hear stories of, of ways that people have stepped out in obedience, Lord. And seen you move in our lives, Lord. Amen. Amen.